0: Welcome to the Loans on Demand Podcast, the show where we flip the real estate status quo on its head and put loan officers into the driver's seat. We give you all the tools, strategies, resources, and mindset needed to modernize your mortgage business and thrive. My name is Luke Shankula, aka Longform Luke, and this is the Loans on Demand Podcast. Hey, what's going on? Welcome to the Loans on Demand podcast, the show where we help loan officers flip the status quo on real estate agents and put loan officers in the driver's seat. And we have a good one today. We got Brett Baird. He is a producing branch manager at Cross Country Mortgage and a total stud. And I'm excited to have him on the show. Welcome to the show, man. Thanks for having me. Super excited. Yeah, man. Well, you know, obviously you do a little bit of production here and there. So we'll have the scrub on the show every once in a while. So, you know, no big <laughs> deal. Um, it just kidding. It happens. Give us a little context as to you know who you are, your background. What got you into this crazy industry? What keeps you in this industry, man? I don't know. Just kind of give us a little background. All very valid questions there. So I lived in Spain. My first
1: time, I was an exchange student. My junior year of high school, graduated high school barely, moved back to Spain. Had a couple of buddies living there, so went out there and lived with a couple of my friends in Sevilla for about another three and a half years. And one of my friends that I was living with in Sevilla, probably about a year and a half into my trip there. I'm going to visit me. And I'm like, you know, Joe, are you selling drugs? Like, how are you affording this? And he's like, no, I'm selling mortgages. And I didn't know what that was at that point. Right. So that was kind of my first introduction to what the mortgage business was. So I was in a relationship out there, broke up with my girlfriend, moved back to Denver, came home. And at that point, I had convened with Joe, spoke with him. He's like, hey, come into the mortgage business. Like, let's take a look at this. So that's what I did. So that was 20 years ago. So got in the mortgage business like day one, you know, fresh off my four, four and a half year stint in Spain. I love this story because it's just wild how it worked out. So I had very little success up front because I was super young. So I'm 42 now. I was 22 when I got in. You know, we were cold calling agents. It's right when rates started to get good, like the first time. And, you know, everyone was swinging for refis. And fortunately, our leaders at that point said, go after agents, go after agents. And they used to have, you know, contests and whoever set the most meetings would get like a hundred hours, which is like a ton of money back then and all that kind of fun stuff, right? So I got really good on the phones. I got really good getting in front of agents. But when I'd get in front of agents, they were like, you are super young. You know, my clients are well-to-do 45 year old guys. Like it's not going to be a fit kind of thing. So I got super discouraged and uh, I was at Cameron Loco here in Denver, Mexican restaurant, drowned in my sorrows and I played a taco's and saw this magazine called Casas Magazine. And I started flipping through it and it's a bunch of young Hispanic agents and so I start cold calling these guys. And they're like, wait, you speak Spanish? Because this was a different time in the mortgage industry, right? Pay barrier of entry and a lot of people weren't very trustworthy. And they're like, wait, you're a white dude from Denver? You speak Spanish? This is weird. Like, yeah, let's meet up. So started out with a few really strong relationships with some bigger guys in town that I'm still due their loans 20 years later, you know, I think wow. my biggest account. So God bless Mr. Tony. Still, uh, just you know, best of friends. So that kind of got me started. But the biggest thing is, you know, you can start off weak, you can start off strong, but what really you know keeps you in it? For me, a lot of it's the direct to consumer. It's always been a little bit educational. I really like it in front of groups of people. I used to not like it, and it's one of the big fears that I've overcome. I don't have any problems with it anymore. So going direct to consumer, doing a lot of events, first time home buyer stuff these days. Really, just kind of switching the paradigm from relying 100% on realtors to bring me deals as opposed to now, you know, I can get in front of of 50 people and probably take five or six transactions from it and then hand it back to a realtor.
0: That's valuable, man. That's one of the things we talk about all the time is, you know, it's not about necessarily not relying on agents because. You always want referrals and referrals are always going to be the best source of leads. They're going to be the highest quality. They're going to be the highest warmth, all that kind of stuff. But you don't have control of it, right? You don't get the control like when they come in, how they come in, how they're marketing. And obviously in a market like we're in right now, that has bit people in the butt right now. Because again, I mean, maybe they have 5 or 10 agents and all of a sudden those 5 or 10 agents that were feeding them in the last few years or 10 years or 20 years or whatever are now slow. And so of course they're slow and they have no way of getting more business. So the fact is that, you know, having diversified revenue sources or diversified lead sources, in my opinion, is the only way to do business in any realm, not just the mortgage industry, but in any realm, referral only is, in my opinion, a scary proposition because, you know, unless you have a super systematic process to acquire more referral partners, you know, to continue to grow that piece, you're always going to be dependent on, you know, a few people to give you the transactions. This is a little scary. So it's been interesting, man. It's interesting to hear that that's what you've been doing. How long have you been doing kind of direct to consumer? Is it been since the beginning? I was thinking about that the other day. I probably did my first like class, probably three or
1: four years into it. Okay. And then I did my first really like large class. I remember I was up in like 38th in Quebec here in Denver. I think we marketed it too far out, probably two months out. And that was probably wow. 130 people we had show up, but That was amazing. Yeah, that was amazing. Like, because the agent that I did this with was really good on the phone. He was super charismatic. So, by the time we had the event, I think we closed three transactions.
0: Before you even had the
1: event? Before we had the event. (laughs) Like, and that's the difference between someone who's okay on the phones and someone who's brilliant on the phones. Of course. And just, you know, creating that trust and that level of like, hey, confidence. So, that was the first really big scale that we've done. And right now, I like to keep them at 40 or less people. You know, some people go yard and they want to get in front of, you know, 300 people and be Elvis and Tony Robbins and get it. But I think to really get people to interact and open up and ask questions and really most importantly, by the end of it, leave with information, one and two, fill out the application. You know, I have like a 95% app rate at point of sale. So when we're in front of people, we close and you know, we're salespeople at the end of the day. Right. So I do them frequently now. You know, I do probably between four and six a month, like this Saturday, double header. I got one here in the morning at 10 a.m., and then I got a two o'clock just at a library here.
0: Nice. Yeah. And then from that perspective, I mean, you do these a couple times a month. It sounds like you've been doing them for a few years now. Did you start off doing English-speaking ones? I know you speak Spanish. Or were you doing English-speaking ones? Were they doing I, Spanish-speaking I always, ones? I have like- always...
1: It's always been my bread and butter, you know, and we talked about having more than one source, right? We always give the chair analogy here, like you're not sitting on a chair with one leg, right? One of the four pillars of your business. So we've always looked at a few things. I've always been really heavy Spanish, like about 90%, the realtor and direct to consumer side. You know, we had a really large scale builder for a number of years there for about six years. It was a great run. Unfortunately, when you have one account that gives you that much volume, They can JV, they can open up their own mortgage company, so on and so forth. So that was a big thing that happened to us in 21. You know, we had an account that between Gavin and I in 21, I think we closed 840 transactions from one account. Wow. It was a golden goose. It was a big one. It was a big one. But what happened, right? You know, I think my biggest month with them was 130 transactions. So you got all this money flowing in over here. So you take your foot off the gas, going direct to consumer, Sure. You Writing know, the gravy train, not taking as good a care of your agents and so on and so forth. So an expensive and very valuable lesson for me, you know, and that's part of growth, right? Even I'm looking for that at the ripe age of 42 still, but kind of figuring that out, figuring out the pillars and all the classes that I've done and all the classes that I'll probably do will be in Spanish. And I do a couple of them. I do a move up home buyers one. I do a first time buyers one. And that's really what I market to. So I think just between those two, especially if I want to diversify and look at other markets, it's more than enough to keep me occupied. Well, of course, we're obviously searching for and in talks with a couple larger builders to kind of backfill that pillar as it
0: walked out the door in 21. So did they just you know bring in their own in-house lender or what sort of happened there?
1: Yeah, they JB'd and they had three lenders, right? One of the other lenders was actually like his parents like gave them seed money to start. Oh, wow. He was out as well, which is just crazy. Because, you know, I don't know if I can say their name publicly. They were very big. They're publicly traded. They're big company, you know, $10,000 yeah. a year or something like that. And so we got a piece of a piece, but it was still a $300 big million a year in volume. And yeah, it was, it was a lot. And one of the three competitors, they were just smart. They were sly. And at the end of every year, they would send a mock PL that said, this is how much money you left on the table by not having a joint venture with us. And I think as rates started to climb and the climate started to change a little bit. They're like, well, you know, this extra whatever, three or $5 million or whatever it is a year left on the table is enough to keep X amount of employees through whatever's going to happen and so on and so forth. And just from a very mathematical approach decided, hey, we're going to pivot, which was tough because, you know, we'd have calls directly, especially all throughout COVID with the CEO and the CEO and two very powerful guys. And, you know, we're never going to change we attempted to do the mortgage thing before we got burned. We'll always sure. have you three. And then, you know, 20 minutes before the national sales call, you get a call from the COO saying, Hey, listen, we're pivoting. It's happening right now in the national call. It's been real. You can close out your pipelines. We'll see you guys around. Ouch. It was a rough day, buddy. It was a rough day. So how do you deal huh? with that
0: then, man, from a mindset perspective? Because I lost million dollar client in early 22, basically 21 though.
1: And. For me, I mean, mindset's been paramount to get through all of this, right? Like when I looked at my life back then, yeah, I was making several million a year. I think, you know, my best year was four twenty-one, which is a lot of money, but I was super unhealthy. You know, not classically, I always say it's a height problem, not a weight problem. So I'm about five, nine on a really good day. And I was about 230, right? right? And I was super lethargic and I was hungover all the time and, you know, drink and party and just all the stuff you shouldn't be doing, right? Right. So, when the gravy chain kind of stopped, I was like, all right, how am I going to get through this mentally? And that was the first time I did 75 hard. Mm. I've done it uh, three times since then. And then in 22, at the end of 22, I started running. I've always liked running and wanted to get more into running. So, I started trending for marathons. And that, like, you talk about mindset, that'll get you right. So, I ran three marathons this year two in Colorado and then the Chicago Marathon. And then I have Tokyo, Berlin, New York, and then maybe an ultra for next year so far. So I think mindset, like physically feeling better, you know, you just get to a point where you're tired of being tired. Sure. And I think I got there and I was like, all right, well, I'm going to get through this and fight like hell and, you know, reclaim what I should have been doing this whole time and kind of get back to, you know, grassroots because there was a long time there. I wasn't doing classes when I was you know, right. having $400,000 a month. <laughs> like, right, right. I was in Tulum. You know what I mean? So, like, taking a step back, and I have a mindset coach, Ben Newman, you know, pretty famous guy. And he handles a bunch of athletes and one loan officer from Denver. Yeah, just working with him. Yeah, some scrub and working with him, you know, building back. You know, I mean, this year wasn't ideal. Last year wasn't ideal. No problem. Like, they always say, right? there's The windshield's a lot bigger than the rearview mirror for damn reason. And we're all forward in motion here, you know, and we're gearing up for the best January I've had since 21. It's all intertwined. I was thinking about this earlier, you know, how you do one thing is how you do everything. I, you know, there's plenty of gym bros that can't put together a business plan. There's sure. plenty of billionaires who are horrible to their families. So it's just like, all right, let's be pretty good at everything. Like, I don't expect perfection, but I can't help my team to a super high standard if I'm not holding myself to a super right. high standard.
0: Right, 100%. I mean, leading from the front is... Pivotal people may listen for a little bit, but if they start to see that you're not, you know, following through on the things that you talk about, the other thing too is confidence comes on the backs of basically doing the things you say you're going to do for yourself, right? Like, you know, you build confidence by doing the actions that you need to do, not that anybody else is doing. Like, hey, you say you're going to do something, you do it. Right. So uh, I almost just hung up this call though when I heard you said you've always liked running because that's just something a psycho says. So, uh, you know,
1: <laughs> there's a little bit of that there. But like, one really good example of this to give like a real world if I'm going to do something hard, you like, then I can expect more of other people around me. Yeah. You know, I grew up, I've always been a car guy. Like, I've loved cars until I, I die. You know, I mean, it's just been my thing. And, you know, I'm sitting here last year telling my team to like, hey, like, let's scale back on eating out. It's going to be skinny what can we cut? Like everyone give me five things that we can cut in our team meetings when I'm coaching people up and I'm driving around a Lamborghini, you know, I had a picture of this Huracan on my wall for, you know, the when I was a kid. Right. And then, so eventually about a Huracan, which I'd loved this car forever. And I'm telling people to cut their bills. So as a point to be like, if I can do hard stuff, y'all can do it too. I went out and sold the car, told them the next day, Hey, listen, I got rid of that car. Like, what do you guys cut?
0: Dang, bro. Yeah. Your baby? You sold your baby? Sold my
1: baby. I can get another one. You know what I mean? That's right, bro. That's right. We'll get another one at the next round if it's what I choose. But like, again, you know, from a leadership perspective, I can't tell someone to be in shape if I'm crushing pizza every day and drinking. You know what I mean? It's just not who I am anymore.
0: Yeah, I love that. So from that perspective, have you then kind of, I'm assuming then you're really good about your health and all that kind of stuff. And obviously you're running and stuff like that, but... What things did you change? Obviously, 75 heart is a sort of a short-term thing. Yeah. How have your habits changed from that process? And the other question would be is do you have a morning routine? Do you have a process that you sort of go through when it comes to, you know, your daily routines and things like that?
1: Yeah, absolutely. Some guys get so specific on this that it's crazy. I mean, I usually get up right around five, you know, depending on what my body's telling me, right? Like I'm also not right. gonna injure myself. I mean, for example, today I have 12 miles of speed work after work you know what i mean between 7 45 and 8 15 miles with no seconds in between right so like tomorrow i'll probably sleep till six four liters of water a day a gallon very first thing with the floor is i drink a liter of water 32 ounces i crush it it's hard to do but it breaks up all the bad stuff in your system and glucose and so on and so forth and me mentally it's just like all right it's go time I usually like to get a lift in the morning, and I'll run in the afternoons. It's tough in Denver because it gets dark at 4.30 now, which is just crazy that we still have daylight savings time. So I really divide my day into three different times. Red is the morning, and then so Red's like, you know if I need to take Davis to school, get my workout in, getting coffee, heading into the office green, which is like, all right, I'm I'm gonna prospect for three hours, and y'all leave me alone because I'm hitting the phones, or I'm meeting with agents and then blue time when I get home at the evening, you know, like some conscientious, you know, time with my girl and, and the kids and get my runs in and kind of just like, all right, the work's done for the day. So not like, you know, 503, I take a cold punch 507. Like, I did that for a while, where I was just so aggro and up at four, and so on and so forth. But, you know, when you're looking at, Doing a lift three or four days a week and renting five days a week, at some point you just can kind of run out of juice. But for me, it just gets my mind right. So when I hear I'm not like screwing around on Instagram and you know, sending memes, although I do my fair share of that when I'm not in green time. Yeah. I've seen those DMs, right You're sending me no, I'm just kidding. That's why I have to be so strict on myself. Cause if I'm not, <laughs> like I'll spin off this planet. You know what I mean? So it's just like, all right. Doesn't have to be all or none, but it needs to be about uh,
0: ninety-five-five. Especially agree to your point, right? Like you know, when I was first kind of getting started as well, it was like everybody says you have to have this morning routine and you got to do it this way, you got to do it that way. And so I remember working with a mindset coach, and I was like, "Yeah, I have to do this and have to do that." And he's like, "Why?" I'm like, "I don't know. That's, that's what they say." I'm like, "Why would you do things that you have to do?" It's like, do these because you want to do these things. And I'm like, "Oh, that makes sense." And so I shifted, yeah. like, because I was doing all kinds of things. So now I basically just get up in the morning, four forty-five in the morning, typically. I go, I drive my Tesla to a charger. I charge, you know, at a charging station while I'm at the charging station, I do breath work and then yeah. I go to the gym and I work out. Right. And I drink some water. I don't quite get as crazy about drinking 32 ounces, but I drink some water. I take like a quarter scoop of pre-workout so that I can have my caffeine later in the day too. But I need a little bit of, you know, pick me up first thing. Yeah, for uh, sure. But that's one thing that shifted because I was like trying to journal and I was trying to do all these things. And I had like this huge list of things that I was trying to do. And like one, like, you dread doing these things which is like why would you ever dread your morning routine like that should be something yeah. you look forward to that really balances you so it's like okay cool like let's remove things that I don't actually want to do but I'm going to commit to like hey I go to the gym 5 days a week and it's less about me getting buff like yeah sure I want to you know build muscle but we had a kid earlier this year and so obviously that threw off my you know routine for at least a couple of weeks I think it was 2 or 3 weeks yeah. before I was back to the gym and I just just in that time I just felt the mental decline from just not going, right? Obviously the physical decline as well, but the mental especially, right? was a huge shift. And for someone that has ADHD and is going to stray pretty negative as well, I need to protect my mind as much as possible. So I really, you know, I do believe that breath work really kind of evens me out and then also some sort of positive Typically, I'll watch some sort of YouTube video that's positive, motivational, a sermon. Get your mind yeah. right, yeah. Right. It's too to right. think about negative
1: stuff, especially right now. It's just like, yeah. and I'm that way too. If I start down that pathway, it's gonna be real damn hard to pull myself out of it. If I have an awful day, most likely everyone around me is also gonna have an awful
0: day. Yeah, that's why we were talking about that earlier today. And I was like, I'm not very good at hiding my sort of the way I'm feeling, right? Like if I'm having a bad day, you're probably going to feel, I'm not going to yell at you, but you're going to probably feel my energy be very, very low. Or, you know, some people are good at it.
1: And I think a lot of it comes from a really good call with one of my buddies, Alex, who's like a mega agent here in Denver, you know, runs like $300 million a year team. Just a stud. He's also like tall and super handsome. I'm like, this guy just has everything. Unbelievable. It's like me, so,
0: right? It sounds like me. He's, he's
1: just like you. He looks just yeah. like you. So we were just talking about what joy we take these days from Uh saying no. Like the more stuff I say no to, the better I feel like if we're out for dinner and, you know, have one cocktail, like, nah, man, like I'm good. I'm not like a straight edge, like I don't have any drinks ever. You know, I might have a couple of drinks a year, you know, but it's just not my shtick anymore. And it used to very much be my shtick. Right, right, right. So I think saying no to stuff like that, saying no to relationships, like people that buy you down, saying no to agents that like are awful people and mean to your team you know saying no to certain clients like more stuff that we take off our plates with no's the better we're gonna
0: feel well thank you for not saying no to the podcast interview so no i was definitely saying yes that's a Um, yes all right let's go appreciate that man no that's great man because it's true i mean the more established you become in any business you're in the more opportunities present themselves right because like here's the truth there's so many opportunities for us like we really do have a lot of opportunities. And we see that right now, especially in the mortgage industry is a little bit of distraction seeming to be setting in a little bit. Reason for it, obviously, is because everybody's trying to make up for the revenue that they were making. And so now they're talking about solar. Now they're talking about, you know, getting their real estate agent's license. Now they're talking about like all of these things that are like, cool, these are short-term solutions to increase your revenue short-term. But then like, have we thought about what are the repercussions of this in the future, right? When the market does turn around, Are you going to want to still be doing solar? Like, how's that going to affect your future transaction? What if you have to refinance them? Is that going to cause any issues with the the solar? Like there's a lot of repercussions that could potentially happen in the future. And people are just starting to get distracted. So that's all.
1: Well, there's that. And I mean, Bitcoin's back, right? Like you see (laughs) crypto's back. Yes. Yes, yes. Crypto's back. You know, the lights came on there. I mean, the other thing is it's tough to win back confidence if you get out of industry completely and right. you go to solar right. and then you like, come back to agents that, you know, didn't leave the business. And you're like, yo, man, I'm back. Well, it's like, cool. Can I count on you? That's what I like about marathons. Like, this is all a marathon. This is yeah. all a marathon. Like, people think it's HGTV and they're going to buy the first house and it's sexy and they're going to sell it and make 200 grand and yada, yada, yada. It's like, it's about time and market. Like, just the same as when you own a home, like you always need to own a home and be in the market for a long period of time in order to establish some wealth. It's the same damn thing in business. Like it's time and market. And it's just having a niche, which you and I talked a little bit earlier about my niche is Spanish. You know, it's one thing I'm really good at and I love it. And I live in that culture. My girls from Guadalajara, I speak Spanish at home. That's the world that I live in. And that's how I've cut my teeth and built my reputation in Denver. So when I started to stray away from that, I turned was a marathon into a 200-yard dash, which lasted, you know, six years with Monster Builder. But at the end of the day, I took my eye off the ball. So for what it's worth, you know, what is it? The bird in the bush? <laughs> I mean, it's just not yeah. It's not worth it to take your foot off of the gas on your bread and butter or your niche for something that could be super sexy that pops up.
0: Yeah, well, and I agree. I mean, you know, I've had a couple times where big accounts like that bit me in the butt. And like, on one side, I'm like, well, then I just won't do that. I'll just do, you know, all smaller accounts. Well, you don't want to do that either. But yeah, just having this sort of idea that like, we can take that on, but don't stop the other thing, right? Like, yes, we want to take the opportunities that come. But yeah, it's a huge learning lesson. It's like, you know, you're like, man, this is a perfect client. And then, you know, we lost the client because they ended up going bankrupt like this was a massive call center that was refi, refi based, right? And as soon as it started to shift into the purchase market, they just couldn't shift fast enough, you know, because the refi guys tend to be refi guys, they just tend to not understand the sales cycle, they just want the quick money. And so let's talk about niching, right? Because ultimately, you have that niche, but there's other niches that you can choose. There's other ways that you can do that. So like, what is your recommendation? Or when you're coaching your team? How do you sort of coach them on that? Or do you coach them on niching?
1: I mean, we talk about niches, right? Like, Non-QM is a giant thing right now. You know, we're doing a lot of non-QM loans. Like we're working on one right now that's a 90% loan to value with an exception down to 620 on a bank statement deal, you know, which is bananas. Like, I think our biggest thing is that we need to get really good at products. And then we need to tell the agents instead of like, hey, check me out. You know, I love my buddy Will Grimes. He talks about like everyone shows the Everest photo at the top. Like, hey, we're at closing check out the key song. Like, I don't give a shit about being at the top of Everest. Tell me about the journey. Like how, tell me about base camp too, and how you almost slipped, you know, like we need to be better at disseminating information, making it easy and giving real life practical examples that they can apply in their day-to-day business. For example, like, you know, it was one of my agents the other day posted on Instagram, Hey, I got this guy. He won't go, with the down payment assistance program, like they're not accepting his income. Does anyone do a ninety percent bank statement program at a six eighty FICO score? And I'm like, well, we do. You didn't even need Instagram for this, buddy. You could have just called me pal Brett. Yeah, yeah. But I didn't send out the information. I don't tell right. people these things, right? So, I mean, that's a good story. That's a good post. Or like, hey, listen, here's a situation that we ran across real quick like this is a doable deal, so on and so forth. You know what I mean? So I think we have to be better experts at what our companies really offer. Right. Yeah, like so non is a big one, like chatlet loans are coming back, you know, really understanding FHA. You know, the FHA will go down to 500 FICO score with 10% down you can get almost anything approved with a little bit of cash. People will find the money. We all gotta go like this and pull our sales hats on from time to time and really dig in because we're so used to taking orders Right, That we lost a lot of that. I lost a lot of that. Like I listen to myself on the phone sometimes and I'm like, oh, I was so much better because it's reps. It's muscle memory.
0: Yeah, hundred percent.
1: You know, it's just like anything. It's like, if I didn't train for Tokyo, I want to run a three hour marathon in Tokyo. It's six minute, 50 second miles to break three hours. My best time ever was 338. So what does that look like? What'll get me there, right? It's running twice as much and losing 20 pounds. That's the mindset that we need to have.
0: Yeah. And at the end of the day, you reference this all the time, but Alex Formozzi always talks about what it takes versus what you think it takes. It's like, it doesn't matter what you think it takes. Like the market is going to tell you what it takes. And in this market it Mm -hmm. takes a lot more work than it did in 2020 and 21. Right. It is what it is, but it's just a different market. And, Mm -hmm. you know, we have to adapt and, you know, I love you talking about, you know, niching, but you know, you talked about sharing information and it's like, yeah, like tell people that you have these products. And I think there's ways to do it that you can do it in a way that's like a storyteller or even tell the story right now. Hey, like, did you know that we have this product? We just closed this loan for this person. And this is the result. And they were able to get into a home and, you know, and being able to tell a story. And recent example is the conforming loan limit changes. Everybody goes online and posts the, oh, the conforming loan limit just went up. And you're like, who actually knows what the conforming loan limit is? Like, yeah, loan officers do. And that's the thing. It's like, the only people
1: seeing your stuff online are other LOs and agents. Right. You know, you see these agents, check out my open house tour and they're like playing Minecraft through the damn house on their cell phone. And it's like, how many houses have you sold doing zero is the answer for all of you. Like, it's just other agents looking at this house. Right. You know what I mean? Like, you're not going to get a consumer to bite on that. So like, how do you market outside of that? You know what I mean? Like, how do you go direct to consumer and get eyeballs on your stuff through pain, basically, that wouldn't necessarily... Get there otherwise. Like, how right. do you do that? And that's what we need to be better at. And I think that's where a lot of this is going. And, you know, we traditionally like to be at the forefront of things. So that's why we're really working hard at this now, because the first stop should be with the lender.
0: Right. I agree. I mean, you know, and people keep talking about that and loan officers keep talking about like, well, yeah, people should be going to the consumer. But it's like, okay, well, how many loan officers do we know that actually market to the consumer? Yeah. Very yeah. few. How many real estate agents do we know that market to the consumer? Every single one of them.
1: 100%. So like flip the script. At least make it equitable enough to where you get a few deals out of it. And then you can approach a better agent than maybe your normal cow. If you're a newer guy, even if it's a lead and you go to a bigger agent, like it at least starts a conversation. Right. You're not like, hey, I close on time. I close. Okay. So you do your job. Sick party. Like, what else? How do you help me make more money? You know what I mean? Like, if you ask 10 agents, what do you want? 10 of them should tell you, I want a deal back.
0: Well, yeah, and who knows what they'll tell you in person, but I've seen the Facebook groups and I've seen how many people are like, what, loan officers give referrals to agents? What? I've been in the industry for 20, 30 years. I've never got a referral once. Not even once. Not even a referral that didn't close.
1: Yeah, yeah, it's crazy. And that's why I like having you know like a few high caliber agents i don't do the classes with a bunch of people i don't do sure. it for agent attraction i do it for agents that i really believe in and really believe in me and you know possibly if i do it out of state cool then i'll use it as agent attraction and so on and so forth but i do it to take care of the guys that have taken care of me for a long time yeah. like yeah. this is a real relationship and you're not only as good as your last deal cuz stuff happens you know what right. i mean And that's where people get so salesy and robotic in this industry. And I'm like, I'm really friends with all my agents. Like I've been, you know, most of these guys are Mexican dudes here in Denver. Like I've been at 600 quinceañeras, man. Like I am (laughs) the quinceañera king.
0: Quinceañeras are are popping too, man. Those are, those are fun. Oh, super fun. I'm less fun out of these days, but,
1: (laughs) but like, we got to be in real relationships. Like we got to be able to want to hang out with the people that we're doing business with, like, and that's in its essence makes it be able to continue.
0: Sure. Well, you talked about like salesy and like, in my opinion, the typical terminology of salesy is like what most salespeople do, which is they just pitch, right? And it's like, cool. Like the truth is what actually sells people is not the pitch. What sells people is the discovery. Understand their situation, understand their pain point, and then describe a solution to their pain point or point them towards the solution for the pain point.
1: Exactly. It's like, that's why Gavin makes more money than me. He asks better questions. it it, gets to the point quicker straight up yep for sure that and like we all need to be better implementers because there's so much content out there and there's so much damn advice there's so many things like don't do a hundred things do one and get halfway decent on it and then move on to the next thing you know what i mean i just like what's the saying like uh an ounce of implementation is worth a ton of ideas like Yeah. Do something. Don't do everything, but
0: do something. I agree. And I see the same thing with like social media. And I've talked about this multiple times, but like Gary V talks, like I went to a conference in 2019 and he's like, yeah, loan officers need to be, you know, posting content on all these channels, like basically telling people to post 40 pieces of content. I'm like, that's bad advice because the truth is like, these people aren't even consistently posting once a day or two, three times a week. Like, and you want them to post 40 times a day and they haven't even Figured out how to post once a day? Like that's bad advice, in my opinion. And so it's like it would no, be like, like throwing you can... someone in with Goggins and being like, "Go train with him for a day." Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Go run an ultra marathon and you haven't even trained.
1: What's gonna happen? Like it ain't gonna work. And then people are gonna get pissed off and throw their hands up in the air and move that on to the work. next thing, which is probably solar. Right, like... right,
0: right, right. Right now it's solar. Yeah. Man, yeah, that's true, man. It's something I tell people all the time. It's like, you didn't become a good loan officer right away. So stop expecting to become good at all these other things in a, yeah. in a minute too. Stop expecting to be good at going direct to consumer. Stop expecting to be you know good at doing webinars. Stop it like, you, know, you can't expect to be good at these or using social media. Like you haven't made a single video. You think you're gonna be good at video? I mean, you talked about your friend, oh, I think it was Alex was good on the phone. You think Alex was good on the phone the very first time he got on a phone call? No, heck no. It took him 10,000 times. Yeah. You know?
1: It took them a lifetime. Like it takes, again, it's muscle memory. Like maybe some people, and few in between can just get up and rock a stage and get 95% of people to commit. For me, it's been an awful lot of work. Yeah, You know what I mean? And screwing up for the first 10 years. Like, cool. I had a bunch. I didn't know. I made it about the mechanics of a loan. Just like, you know, check out conforming loan limits. If people don't care about the mechanics, they care like, can you get me into a house? How does right. it work? Like walk me through the process. Make me feel okay about it. I need to tell them what like minimum FICO requirements, are right? FHA level. Well, well your GTI is, and you're like, bro, what does that even mean? You're missing the boat. You know what I mean? You're missing the boat. Like for agents, depending on their acumen, sure, some of that stuff could work, but like not as a mass pitch on Facebook. Like you know, it's human to human interaction, which sure. I think some of us got away from during the COVID years. Like this is a belly to belly. This is the relationship business, right? And who has the strongest relationships is going to do the best. It's that simple.
0: Yeah, 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 I agree. You know, I think there's different skills as well, right? I feel like most loan officers are pretty good at the relationship thing. They're not so good at the sales thing. So I think depending on what your skill set is, like, if, you know, and then on the other side, there's consumer direct guys that are good at the sales thing. They're not so good at the relationship thing, right? Because they've just been used to just churning and burn. You just work with yeah. as many people as you possibly can. It's a numbers game. And you you know you close 20 deals a month. Probably never talk to that person ever again. But you're churning, right? So really good at sales and you know pressure and things like that. And then vice versa, the referral guys tend to be really good at building relationships. But then pure sales stuff, start to think about what is it is that maybe you're weaker at and work on that, right? I mean, it comes down to working on your weaknesses, getting better at these things. And ultimately, as a loan officer, I mean... Part of what you do is structure files, but really what you are is a marketing person and a salesperson. Like 100%. you get paid because you go out and find business and you bring it to your company. You don't yeah. get paid three to five to $10,000 a deal because you're an educator or because you're an advisor. You get paid because you're a salesperson first and then secondarily, you're an advisor and an educator. I agree with that. I agree with that. Absolutely. So get better at those things. I mean, if you're a loan yeah. officer that's yeah. listening to this and you're struggling to close business, you're probably not marketing hard enough or you're not selling hard enough. I can almost guarantee you it's gonna be one of those. It'll fall
1: into one of those buckets. It's it's not
0: some magical, you know, lead source. It's not some magical referral person. It's not some script. It's not this, it's not that. It comes down to getting better at your craft. And obviously part of getting better at your craft is getting educated on the mortgage programs. Unfortunately, most people, that's what most loan officers are good at the mortgage programs, right? They're the nerdy behind the books, sort of like, hey, I can structure a file, but like a processor can structure a file, an underwriter can structure a file. You I'm get like, paid because
1: do. bring in bringing business. 100%. Like, that's always been my thing. Like, I don't want to be the best enderator. Right. I want to close the most loans. And it ain't happening with me in files. It's just not. Okay. So, all right, how do I get really good at that? And we go from there.
0: Yeah, yeah, I agree. And we'll we'll talk about that, man. Like, if you were to start over today, or if you were just getting started today, or if you were, you know, giving some advice to a new loan officer getting started today in this market, or even a loan officer maybe that's struggling or even wanting to get more business, what is a suggestion or a tactic or strategy that you could suggest for a loan officer to implement today that can go get them some business?
1: I mean, one thing that I would do immediately, this might not be something that gets in business. The first deal today would be find three or four guys like me in the industry or people like me in the industry Mm -hmm. and like, DM them, be like, can I get 15 minutes of your time? You've made an awful lot of money at this. I want to make an awful lot of money at this. I want to get really good at this. And the guys who aren't schmucks, like if someone DM me and it was a kid that's getting into the loan business, you think I would tell them no? Like, no, I would tell them yes. Another thing that I really like to tell younger people or people, they don't even have to be young when they get into this business. If you're in front of a realtor, ask them about their first deal. Like some of it's fake till you make it kind of stuff, but ask them, walk me through your first deal. How'd you get your first deal? right? And put them in that mindset. Like, tell me about your first deal and how you got that and how you closed it. And did they get you your second referral? Or what did that look like? How did you get the trust for someone? Because they'll remember it, they'll remember it, it'll be the most nostalgic time you're ever going to see them in their lives. And then they'll talk you through that, right? And then I personally, I would be like, Hey, how about you be that person for me? Like, I haven't done a deal yet. I've learned a lot. I got my license. Like you could be the hero. That I'm talking about 20 years from now to the next up and comer. Like, yeah. I'd swing for that all day. And if I were an agent, I'm like, this kid seems like they'd work hard. They have a team behind them, someone that knows what they're doing in the background. I would probably give them a shot. You know what I mean? So I think bringing, I like that piece of it, like the nostalgic piece, but, you know, have some people that you follow that you really like and reach out to them. I'm a big Alex Hermosi fan. I'm glad you mentioned him. Like, there will be a day where I hang out with Alex Hermosi. I have a friend who had breakfast with him about three months ago. So I'm one degree of separation now. I'm hitting Alex up. Like, I want to meet Alex for sure. For
0: sure, right? Well, he's going to have to have dessert, bro. A hundred percent. I'll do it. Dessert,
1: I'll, I'll carve up with him. <laughs> but like, if I'm doing that at this level, you should be doing it at a newer level. hundred percent. Or an intermediate level. Like, you got to be chasing someone. And there's so many good guys in this industry, Gavin and Jeremy Forcier, and like, you know, all these studs that we all know and love. Like, those dudes are open books, man you know, like when I got into the business, everyone was super secretive about what they had and how they made the money. And it was like their spell book. And it was all basic stuff, but they just thought about it before or got taught it by someone else. There wasn't all these coaches and all this content. Right. And now there is. So like, just don't be afraid of the phones and reach out.
0: You're right, man. Most people think that, you know, these people are super busy. They don't want to help. And the truth is it depends on how you ask right? Like, obviously, like, you know, I'm a big fan of like, if people come to me and they say, I want to pick your brain, that kind of triggers me a little bit, because that just doesn't acknowledge like the fact that like, I've spent hundreds of thousands of dollars on coaching on bettering myself. And like, you want me to give that away for free, I'm happy to answer your questions and stuff like that. If someone comes to me directly asks like, Hey, man, I know you're busy. I know, you know, like, I had had a quick question about this. I'm a
1: brand new loan officer. Like I saw your podcast, I really like, you know, what you said, this hit home for me. You know, like some at least know what we do. Don't just swing randomly, like just right. do a little research on someone. Like I know all about Alex Ramosi, you know, listen to some of his like, you know, million dollar deals and the gym rescue. And yet, you know, I've, I've like listened to a bunch yeah. of stuff. So I'm educated enough to where when I actually get in front of him, I know some good questions to ask him, but it's sure. not just let me pick your brain. It's like, Hey, listen, I really like this, this, and this, I really need some guidance on this. Can you find 10 minutes to talk to me? 10 out of 10 every time. Yeah.
0: I love it. And you may not get everybody to say yes, but...
1: Yeah. I mean, like, you know, Gavin would say yes. I would say yes. Like, you know, a lot of these guys in town are... Even some of them are newer and they're really good. All these guys should say yes. You know what I mean? Nice. So I think it's about raising your hand and you don't know what you don't know and ask. If I can save six months of hardship over asking a question and being a little uncomfortable asking it, well, you know what the right answer is. It's that simple. Ask the damn question.
0: <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> like, raise your When hand. you're going to offer to pay... Yeah. Hey, is, I know you're busy. Can I might be fifty, 50 you, bucks, or even a couple. Even if it's a couple hundred bucks, I know you might be newer. But like, okay, cool. There were their times worth two, three, four, five hundred dollars yeah. an hour. Like, if you think sure. about how much money you're making, like, hey, I'll pay for your time. Is a cool fight, you know? Yeah. Again, these are just strategies. You know, if you feel like you're kind of weird about, like, weird about asking questions, I think you ask and even throw it out there. Most people probably say, that's nah, cool." Like, just ask away. I don't think most people are going to be like, yeah, I'm going to need X amount per hour, but ah. it's you up from the perspective that like, I understand your time is valuable. I understand, you know, a lot of things. I understand you probably get people doing this all the time. I want to show up and be respectful. So I love it, man. I think that's huge. And then again, it comes down to like taking action, asking, right? Doing the work. A lot of times people want to, uh, you know, kind of hope that things are going to work, hope things are going to turn around and it doesn't happen that way.
1: You ever heard that joke? What's the salesman's favorite drug? No, it's hopium.
0: Hopeium. Yeah. hope the deal close. <laughs> I call it hope marketing when people are you know, they're hoping that people will work with them because they're such a good whatever it is that they do, right? Good loan officer, yeah. good business owner, good, whatever. It's like, no, people don't do business with people that, yeah, they do business with people that they like, but like they don't know who you are. They can't like you. So the 100%. first thing you need to know is know who you are. That's the first step. So, yeah, man, I appreciate that. yeah. I mean, you know, obviously, this has been a fantastic podcast. You know, we've got a lot of context around some things you're doing. You know, my big takeaways come down to, like, from the beginning, you've niched, you've found a niche, right? There's a lot of different yeah. angles that you could use. There's you know, obviously a lot of loan officers go, you know, VA. There's obviously you go know, Spanish market. Yeah. You know, what we do internally is we target the heroes of the community, teachers, healthcare professionals, first responders, right? There's a homes for heroes program, trying to start hero program, right? Like so there's, there's different programs that you can offer that way, right? Maybe you can be the non-QM guy. You could be the reverse mortgage person, right? You know, whatever it is, you like finally the down payment assistance person, down payment man.
1: assistance. Yeah. Meet your local DPA place and then do a class with them and see if you can get 10 people to show up. You know what I mean? Like start somewhere, but start, right. Right. We start. always say it's this easy to do and this easy not to do. Right. Like, It's not that difficult,
0: yep. but yeah, yeah. you want to put in the work. hundred percent. Well, and obviously, you know, if you've done this for a long time. You've learned a lot of things. You've learned some lessons, obviously you closed all these transactions with a builder and lost that account and had to rebuild. And, you know, it's, yeah. it's probably been a journey. obviously a hard time as well that's not the time you want to lose that sort of an account when everything else is kind of crashing down around you as well so oh, it was a lot
1: at once it was a lot at once sailors are made in storms right so that was sure. a storm and it's like all right how am I going to get out of this and for me and it's not the same for everyone like it's just like not everyone has to be up at 4 30 yeah it is what it is but like right. for me it all stems from feeling healthy and well and having a good home life because if it ain't right at home it sure is having to be right at the office
0: and we see that all the time in this industry too right is this sort of the hustle culture that is glorified yeah you know, people were you know bragging about working 12 15 hour days but then it's like okay well they're divorced three times they don't talk to their kids they yeah. are you know 400 pounds they are it's like cool like sure you're making a lot of money but like are you actually happy because like, you know, like,
1: yep, it's that and it's also like You know, don't flex that you get up at four. Flex that you got eight hours of sleep. Like that's a flex. Yeah, what I mean? Like that you actually take care of yourself and listen to your body a little bit. And, you know, I mean, yes, push through it on certain days. Like I did 12 miles Sunday, five miles Monday, five miles yesterday, and I got 12 miles today. Like I hurt, but like I'm not injured, so I'm going to do it.
0: Mindset. Yeah, yeah. sometimes you got to push through. And yeah, I mean, obviously we're not saying don't work hard because you have to work hard. And especially in this market, you have to work hard. But you know, doing it in the right way. You know, again, I think there's balance. I, I put balance in quotations because I don't think there's such a thing as like real balance of like, well, you're gonna do yeah. this amount of business and this amount of work. It's gonna change. Yeah. but it's, uh, ultimately it's, it's, it's fluid. Exactly. Yeah.
1: It depends on the market. Like right now, you're gonna work twice as hard for half the
0: money. Yep. Yeah. If not more, maybe four yeah. times as hard for half the money. Yeah. You know, who knows?
1: Probably. That's <laughs> about right.
0: So yeah, if someone wanted to learn a little bit more about you, your team, connect with you online, is there any place they can find you? You know, look Yeah, you just the easiest
1: is probably going to be my Instagram, which is V-T-H-E, and then my name, Brett, B-R-E-T-T-B-A-I-R-D. So they Brett Baird. That's probably the easiest place to connect with me. Also, like if anyone just Googles me, they can find my phone number and hit me up, but like I'm around.
0: Yeah, if you're a salesperson and you can't be Googled and have your information found, then... It's probably going to be a problem. So pretty much anybody that we interview on this podcast, <laughs> Google them and you'll probably find their information pretty easily. Yeah. Um, so man, thank you so much for your time today. It's been fantastic. And like I said, I mean, you know, my big takeaways come down to like, you know, early on, you found an niche, you stuck to it, you still work with it, right? 90% of your business from an niche that, you know, maybe a lot of people don't want to deal with or whatever, right? Like I think the Latino community is a super underserved community. Sure, it is. It at a considerably lower cost than your peers that are, you know, pulling stuff in the VA or, you know, other English speaking spaces. So fraction, you know, and people
1: say it's an emerging market. And I'm like, it was. And now it's the market.
0: It's a market. Yeah, it's huge. It's I mean, sad. I'm in San Diego. So, you know, I think it's more prevalent to be Latino down here than it is to not be Latino. <laughs> it's uh, true. Well, yeah, I mean, I appreciate your time today. And for anybody who is listening to this, again, do the work, show up, find a niche, but ultimately do the work, put it in. And for anybody who is looking for some help on flipping the status quo on real estate agents, go to flipthestatusquo.com. Thank you so much for listening. Thank you, Brett, for being here. Have a great day. Thank you for tuning into the Loans On Demand podcast on loansondemandpodcast.com.
1: This is an I
0: Love Mortgage Brokering production.